So tonight is the culmination of this practice we've been doing. This is the, a night for equanimity, upeka. This uh, equanimity is both the culmination, the, the goal of this whole practice. However, it's also the practice at the same time. It's not like we have to wait to experience equanimity after a, a long time of practice. But we, we begin to cultivate this equanimity now. This is really what uh, holds our practice together. Equanimity is the ground of our being. Is this, uh, this, this attempt or this practice to continually access and ground into our being so we can feel here, we can feel present. We know where we are. There's a sense of uh, here-ness. It really is a, a, our true refuge, equanimity. It's a place of rest. It's the place we return to again and again. Gill's been talking about calm awareness, this calm awareness. So it's the calm in the awareness. The calm comes about through the lack of reactivity to what's happening, a capacity to be able to accept and allow our experience just as it is, moment to moment, and this returning back to that, knowing that that's possible, this acceptance of our experience. It's so, it's just the fabric of what our practice is about, this returning back to this acceptance, this allowing and we can possibly touch an inner quietude, an inner quietude that is not reactive to what's occurring. Even if we find ourselves in a reactive mode, maybe it's possible for a moment not to react to ourselves because we're reactive, or not to judge ourselves for, or give ourselves a hard time because we're agitated or, or angry or... Uh, chaotic or whatever, we just say, yeah, okay, that's, that's how it is right now. It's that attitude of mind that it's, it's, there's kindness, there's care in it, in this equanimity. It's not, it's not uh, in conflict, it's not in contention with what's happening. So it brings about a spacious balance. We can feel a place where we begin to touch a balance within ourselves, with whatever is occurring at all. And because we're in touch with a stillness, the stillness that we've been talking about, that Adrian was talking about last night, just a touch of that stillness, it's what allows us to see clearly, like when the clear forest pool Without the, without the wind agitating the surface, we can, the reflection is clear. We see clearly what's before us. So, so we start to cultivate this inner stillness, this calm, this spaciousness, 
balance in response, in relationship to what's occurring. It's not like we land in a place where nothing's happening anymore. And I know for myself, I thought maybe that was what the experience was like at some point. You get to the point where just nothing, it's just, just a sense of nothingness. And there's nothing happening. I mean, it's, it's not even, it's, it's nonsensical. But yet my mind would somehow think that there, there was, I would get to this state, almost, I guess it was almost like a vegetative state or something, <laughs> you know, where there just wouldn't be any, any response even sometimes to what was happening. You know, it's a, kind of a weird thing that uh, we start to imagine what these states are like. But it's, everything's happening, I mean, of course it is. Life is occurring. Things are happening. We live in this world where it's, uh, there's so much uh, chaos and confusion and pain and suffering. I mean, it's so, so painful. And it's also extremely joyful and exquisite and ecstatic on so many levels as well. And we are responding to that. And yet we talk about this place of calm still, spacious awareness, maybe that isn't moving much, or maybe at all, in response to all of that. And yet at the same time, there is activity and movement and engagement. So it's one of those paradoxes in the teachings that is sometimes the mind can't really understand or resolve how there can be stillness and movement at the same time. Ajahn Chah calls this still flowing water. Still flowing water. We work together, they go together. So what gives this equanimity its power? What makes it powerful? Because it's one of the, it is the, it's the strength in our practice. It's the courage. It's the ground. Uh, when we, we feel a kind of mountain-like quality uh, in response to what's happening. What, what gives it that power? What gives it that power is the awareness and the wisdom that comes through the awareness. This, the culmination, the growing knowledge and wisdom of the way things are. We begin to understand that all things unfold according to a natural law. This is the Dharma, that all things are an expression of Dharma. All things arise and pass according to conditions, according to a law, law of nature, Dharma. And more and more we begin to let go into that, let go into this um, this, the, the nature of things, the, the order, the natural order, the harmony of the way things are. We begin to feel a deeper trust and confidence that we can let go and that I'll be okay, things will be okay. In fact, probably more okay if I start letting go and get out of the way a little bit more. Not try to control and demand and, and manipulate my experience and other people's experience and situations as much as I do. 
And as we, as we let go of this holding and let go of this grasping, we start to feel more free. And people, people have been speaking about this. I mean, it's so lovely to be in interviews with, with people, as Gil was mentioning, because there's so much, uh, so much fulfillment in hearing from people directly how the Dharma is actually unfolding where people are having more and more experiences of freedom and letting go, where the sense of the self, this problematic self, the self that gets in there and tries to uh, fix and make things the way I want it to be, as that sense of me starts to soften and open more and more, there is this sense of more space and more ground, more confidence, more trust. We can feel that. This is starting to uh, give rise to this equanimity, balance, spacious balance in our experience. So because of the wisdom, because of the knowledge that we have about the the way things work, the, the law of this nature, this world that we are part of, we we begin to accept and allow things to be the way they are. We, we even call it a radical acceptance. It's rather radical when we begin to let go in this way into trust and confidence in the Dharma. In my beginning years of practice, this story um, was read a fair amount on retreats and talking about the equanimity and the goal of this practice. And I want to read it to you because it really, um, when I first heard it, it, in a way it's been a teaching story for me. It's one of those stories when you hear it, 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 it sort of works on you for a long time and go through lots of different relationships to the story. And this is the story of the warlord and Zen master. Some of you may have heard it. There was a fierce warlord with a band of men who was pillaging and rampaging the countryside, rampaging the the countryside. People would hear of this and flee in terror. He arrived at one village where there was a monastery and discovered that all the people had fled and all the monks had fled except for one, the Zen master. Upon hearing this, the warlord was even more incensed that there was someone who wasn't afraid of him. So he storms off to the monastery in fury and finds the Zen master sitting in the zendo. He strides up, unsheaths his sword and says, Don't you know that I am one that can run you through with this sword without blinking an eye? And the Zen master Looks at, looks at him straight in the eye and says, don't you know that I am one who can be run through with that sword without blinking an eye? <laughs> and the warlord was so moved by the Zen master's equanimity that he laid down his sword at his feet and he bowed. Mm-hmm. He knew that the Zen master had a power, had a strength that he did not have in all of his acting out. 
So that was a powerful story for me to hear because I kept imagining what it would be like to be like that Zen master. Wow, you know, so fearless. And, you know, that you could even be in the face of somebody who's going to kill you. And you're just totally equanimous. So it really stayed with me, that possibility. And of course, in this case, you know, that it was so powerful for this warlord that, you know, put his sword down and that was the unfolding in this case. But it also had a different impression on me too, where I started to compare where I was. I thought, oh, that is so far away. You know, I'm, I'm not even close to that, you know. I'm, I have all this fear and all this agitation, and even when there's a sound in the room, I'll jump, and, you know, I'm just like, you know, a ball of nerves, and, you know, and then I would compare, and I'd put myself down, and I would judge myself, and I'd make myself feel really small, and, oh, you know, I just have so far to go, and I don't even know if I'll ever get there, and, you know, I'll just take my little baby steps, and, you know, maybe one day, (laughs) you know, I'll have some strength and courage. You know, the whole storyline, building up a whole story about it. And then through the teachings and the practices, I just started to really understand that, you know, we start where we are. The equanimity practice is one where we start now. And that's a practice of looking to see how I'm getting caught in the reactivity, how I'm getting caught in the judgment, how I am actually reinforcing and strengthening more fear and more judgment and more anger, more negativity, how I'm reinforcing more limiting beliefs about myself and and believing a story of smallness and in, in uh, inadequacy and worthlessness. And wow, that's actually all that's contributing to this sense of being fearful and limited. And so that the practice then began, this practice of equanimity, which is our practice of really looking very directly, looking that directly in the eye looking at those thoughts, looking at the patterns, looking at the emotions, and seeing how I'm uh, reinforcing that, how I'm strengthening those, those difficult patterns. And that's bringing, that then brought more wisdom, that brought more knowledge, and in more clear seeing, more stillness, more reflection. So it's really important to to we have our our ideals, we have our aspirations, and and there are there's such what's possible for in for us in this practice is something that we can hold as aspirations for ourselves and see that there is somewhere some way that we can grow and we can develop and we can we can become more than what we are in our limited way of viewing ourselves. But at the same time, right here and now, we can experience these qualities. We can experience all of these awakening factors right here in the moment. It's not something that's necessarily far in the future. But what happens is there's degrees to these qualities. There's, there's degrees to this equanimity. 
So I can start where I am. I can draw on, on the quality, this particular quality that I'm speaking about right now. How, how do I do that? And so we've been speaking about, and I love these words that John uses, recognize and release. Such a simple way to hold our practice. Recognize and release. So recognizing the reactivity, recognizing the contracting tendencies of judgment or anger or um, uh, any way that we start to uh, think about ourselves in a way that makes us feel small and limited. So with awareness, with with this calm awareness, with this kind calm, spacious awareness, can I recognize that? And then with the the practices that we are doing here, then releasing. And the releasing is through the, the breathing. Breathing gently, softly, letting go of the tension, the tightness in the muscles. It's all in the muscles. We can feel that, the build-up, the accumulation all through our body. Yeah, it's, it's years of, of this accumulation of tension and, and contraction. Maybe even lifetimes. Maybe many lifetimes, we don't know. You know of, this, of, of what we've been carrying and building up in our body. And so we can feel that and through our breathing and grounding, really breathing down, down, all the way down into the belly and softening and letting go, letting go. And when the resistance comes and the judgment comes, the anger and the impatience, just, ah, can I let it go? Breathe, soften that resistance. This is the support for the equanimity coming into greater degrees of balance, of spacious balance. As we do this, we're really coming to a place where more and more we accept ourselves as we are. But what we mean by that, what I mean by that is really we're accepting our humanity. That we're human. We were born. We've been, we've been living our lives. All these experiences have been happening. Lots of them painful experiences. Many joyful experiences. Although I have a friend who says, you know, when we were exploring this and, you know, kind of looking to see, well, where was the joy when she was a child? You know, where was the happiness when she was a child? She cannot find any moments of happiness in her childhood when she lived in her house with, at home. It is her, she really has been working on it. But it, in, her, in her way of looking directly at that, it was not happy. It was painful. And so we, 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 and she, she wasn't, she wasn't, she was a child. It was, she was to be loved, she was to be supported, she was to be cared for, and it didn't happen for her. And so all that's in her body, it's accumulated in her, in her being. And so she's working with that. She's, she's bringing the practice to that and, and releasing recognizing and releasing that. 
So we're coming into our humanity. We're, we're uh, uh, recognizing these patterns, these forces that have accumulated over time. You know, the Buddha, Buddha names these three forces of the mind, of, of greed, or the grasping, the, the lusting force, or the opposite one, the aversion, the anger, the rejecting force. And then, the, then there's the, what's called the dull indifference. Dull indifference, where we just kind of go to sleep around our experience. We're not even really paying much attention. Maybe we're just kind of caught in some of our habitual tendencies on automatic, where the mindfulness isn't very alive, very strong, and we're just kind of dull. We don't even really know much of what's going on. And that can lead to confusion, kind of a delusion. So we're looking at that. We want to know about that. Invite the knowledge, invite the wisdom. And more and more then we, we recognize, yeah, I'm caught. I get caught. And we see it repeatedly, <laughs> repeatedly, again and again. I really get caught. I mean, people see it when we come on retreat. And, and because there's an environment of stillness and silence and quiet, and we're with ourselves without many distractions, this is, we see these patterns. And they're not easy to be with. But hopefully we're learning ways of, of holding ourselves with more care, and more love and sensitivity. And then over time, we get this knowledge starts to grow. We can be more responsive with kindness, with care. And those patterns start to lose some of their hold, some of their force in the mind. And the, and the qualities of love and kindness and, and uh, equanimity and... Uh, interest and curiosity, all those start to become stronger in our experience. There's a tipping point where the, the negativity, the, the, the difficult patterns start to reduce and the positive or the wholesome patterns start to get stronger. And we experience ourselves in a different way. I like this um, poem, another one we, we used to read a lot in the beginning in the earlier retreats. It's called The Autobiography in Five Short Chapters by Portia Nelson. Chapter one. I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter two. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. But it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. I have a choice, and I get out immediately. Chapter 4. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5. 
I walked down another street. <laughs> Isn't that the way it goes? You know, finally you recognize you don't have to keep walking down that street. And then there is a sixth chapter that we've added. I walk down the same street and I cover the hole so nobody else falls in the hole. That's the bodhisattva uh, way. Right? thinking about the next person who might fall in the hole. But this is what happens. We fall in the hole. We fall in the hole again and again and again. But hopefully we get, you know, we get smarter, we get wiser. The knowledge, the accumulation of the knowledge, the growing of the clear seeing, of the calm, still, spacious awareness. And we start to pay more attention and and learn about what I can do differently. What did I do that time that I wouldn't want to do next time? There was a time um, when I had to go to the dentist. it was an early morning appointment, and I don't like mornings to have to go out and do things like that. And I had a nine o'clock appointment, and that was a little bit early for me. So, but I thought, well, okay, I needed to see the dentist, and it was the only time I could do it for a long time, for this while. And then I got a call the day before that the dentist actually needed to see me at 8.30, And so I didn't really like that so well, but I knew that I couldn't cancel the appointment. So it meant I had to leave the house much earlier because that's commuting commuter traffic. And if it would have been at 9 o'clock, I wouldn't have been in the traffic. So I would have been able to go a little later, you know, have the morning, but I had had to rearrange my whole morning sit in traffic for a longer part of time and get to the office. And when I got there, they were like, it was early, so there were three, three receptionists in the office and they're all kind of telling me, you know, well, you know, you're going to see one dentist and then unfortunately you still have that other appointment so you're going to have to wait another half hour so that that other dentist is going to be able to see you later. And I was re- getting really agitated, you know, all these changes and, you know, it wasn't going the way I wanted. And I just started being really grumpy and really agitated. And I could feel, I could see that I was just putting out this vibe in this, in this room with these receptionists. And the energy was just starting to drop, you know, it's like, uh-oh, we have somebody in the office now who's really high maintenance, you know. <laughs> She's going to need a lot of care. She's in a really bad mood, you know how. It, and and I, was, I could feel myself just in it, you know. It was just angry, grumpy, I didn't like it. And I could feel how this attitude was starting to come, you know, like, arrogant, like, how could they treat me like this? You know, in this sense of entitlement, you know, that, you know, I'm paying good money and they're treating me, you know, the mind, that's the state, just, you know, it just starts to solidify and get stronger and just in this mood and, you know, waiting for the dentist and all, and I could feel, you know, the awareness, you know, the awareness is there and I'm, 
you're going, what's going on? (laughs) What's happening? You know, really not being, you know, definitely falling in a hole, but not understanding what's happening, how I'm falling in this hole. And, you know, having to go through the appointment, there was about an hour, nothing, it wasn't even a dentist appointment where anything horrible was going to happen. I was just having x-rays and stuff. It wasn't like major drilling and medications and all that. It wasn't anything I was scared of at the dentist. And so I noticed that, you know, just breathing, grounding, you know, doing my practice, not letting it build up, noticing how the judgment wants to come, you know, some shame wants to come. And, you know, the voice in the, in the background goes, if they knew I was a meditation teacher, you know. <laughs> you know, there's always that one. Like, how, what would they think, you know? Here they're thinking I'm this really, you know, neurotic, high-maintenance person. You know, and so, so all this is operating there, you know, and then finally, yes, things are calming down, doing my practice, not feeding it, not adding more, lots of compassion, because it's just what's happening. Sometimes things are really out of control. It's like these waves that just come, and, it's, and I was caught off guard. I didn't even know what was happening to me. And then when I went up to pay my bill, you know, I could tell the woman was a little scared of me, you know, <laughs> like what was going to happen next. So as I was there with her and I could feel that, I apologized. And I said, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, I know that you told me, you know, that I was going to have to wait and I, you know, I'm sorry, I haven't, you know, I've been in a little bit of a bad mood and I, I'm sorry, I didn't want to start your morning off like that. And it was just like, ah. You know, everything just, just calmed down. And it's like, what did I learn? What did I learn from that? And I learned that I actually lost mindfulness with myself from the time when things started shifting. The, 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 the appointment was moved and the irritation was starting to build a little bit. It's like, because I don't have the, a, a clear relationship with my anger and my impatience, Impatience is a way that I started to compartmentalize and reject that and just kind of move it out of awareness, not even wanting to know that I was getting angry or irritated. It's like, that's not okay. It's not okay to feel that way. So just like pushing it aside, splitting off a little bit like what Max was talking about, that separating the the bad part from the good part. And then getting to the office and it's just like I didn't even know it was there and just spilling all over because there's a loss of connection, loss of awareness. And these things, they can, they can sneak up like sneaker waves. You know, we've just been reading about these sneaker waves. You know, they, you're just every, walking along the beach and everything's very calm and all of a sudden there's this wave that comes up and it just kind of takes the people or the animals that are on the beach and pulls them into the, into the ocean. And sometimes these mind states can feel like that, like sneaker waves, like sneaker mind states, you know. They just come up and it's like, where did that come from? You know, and they, we just feel like we're caught off guard and can feel like we're kind of swirling or spinning a little bit in it and until we, we, lose our, we lose our ground, until we kind of reestablish ourselves again, reestablish that composure, and composure comes about through being present with ourselves. It's through 
the capacity to be present with ourselves. And I lost presence. And when I lose that connection to myself as an angry person or an impatient person or an agitated person, it's like if I'm shutting that out, if I'm, I, I, I'll, I'll just spill, it'll just get spilled out. Now it can come out as like passive aggression or grumpiness or irritation. And, and we're in a kind of, um, uh, we're caught in this place where we don't want to bring it into awareness, but at the same time, knowing that that's what we need to do to bring about the composure again. So, so important to understand. It was a very important understanding for me to understand that, that what happens when I, when I lose connection, when I'm not tracking, it's like we, we, we need to track moment to moment to moment these, uh, uh, these, these mind states and moods and feelings and responses and reactions. And as we do that, it's more likely then we can respond then we can uh, engage in ways that are going to be more skillful, that are going to be more helpful with ourselves and with others. And at the same time, we can't do that all the time because of these sneaker waves. You know? They just, <laughs> they get us, they, they pull us off, off track, right? So that's where there's the, the cultivation of this kindness and the compassion towards ourselves as human, just human. It's just the way it is. And so we want to develop this attitude towards ourselves. Of, can, we, can we have the attitude of welcoming, this attitude of inviting, this attitude of allowing of everything that's there? which is also a practice because of the tendency to want to split off the good parts and the bad parts. It's not okay to be like a certain whole certain category of ways of being. And so this, in, this, this, this attitude of, of inviting in, allowing in whatever is here through this calm and uh, spacious uh, awareness, still awareness, can we bring it in? Mary Oliver, who's you know, one of our gurus, um, said that this poem uh, came to her in her dream. She said, in my sleep I dreamed this poem called The Uses of Sorrow. It's very simple. She said, someone I loved once gave me a box full of darkness. It took me years to understand that this too was a gift. This too was a gift. And people talk about that, you know, these, these very difficult and sometimes painful, horrific things that are happening to us, challenging things. And then there's a sense that this too is a gift. This too is a gift. Can I, re- can I receive it as that? Can I open to it? Can I allow it? And what can I learn? What can I discover? What can I awaken to? This awakening. Awakening is this deepening of wisdom, not just seeing through and penetrating 
through the nature of reality, but also learning how to function and navigate and, and relate and engage with this reality, with this world that we live in, this world of humanity. It's challenging. It's difficult. It's not easy. And we can so sometimes so easily think that we should already have it mastered. You know, that we should be able to get it right, as Adrian's been talking about, you know? We have a lifetime. And there's a reason that we have a lifetime. It seems, because there's so many lessons to learn. I like this story from the uh, Tibetan tradition, the Kagyu tradition. Um, it's called Milarepa and the Demons. And and it really t- is a is a um, it points to the this way of of inviting in inviting in our demons, coming into this wiser, more kind relationship with our uh, at different aspects of ourself. Milarepa, he's one of the great yoginis in Tibet. Milarepa had been in a place of great joy. His mind was blissful and he carried some wood back up to his cave. When he arrived there, he found inside his cave seven demons with bodies the size of thumbs and eyes the size of cups. Some were making fire, some were bringing water, some were grinding sampa, and some sat performing various magical tricks. As soon as Mila saw them, he became frightened. He meditated on his deity, uttered his mantras, performed a gaze, and aroused the deity's presence. He then meditated on compassion and friendliness, but was still unable to pacify them and make them go away. He thought, these might be the local spirits of this place. Although I have been here for months and years, I have not praised them or given them any gifts. So he made them an offering and sang sang them a song. You who are assembled here are magical obstacles. Drink this amrita, this this, uh, nectar of friendliness and be gone. Three of the demons who were performing magic went away, but Mila was still unable to make the other four go away, so he aroused another song of confidence. It is wonderful that you demons came today. You must come again tomorrow. From time to time we should converse. As he summoned this confidence and openness, three more of the demons vanished like a rainbow. But the one remaining demon performed an imposing dance, and Mila thought, this one is vicious and very powerful. Overcoming all resistance, he drew in even closer, and he said, demon, if you were to stay here longer, that would be fine with me. If you have friends, bring them along. We will talk out our differences. And then he realized, ah, I feel compassion for this spirit. And without concern for himself, Mila placed himself in the mouth of the demon, at which point the last demon vanished like a rainbow. Oh, this invitation to come closer, 
our tendency is to run away, do what we can to escape, to pretend it's not there, to somehow avoid. And yet we're, we're invited to move in closer, if we can, with this awareness, with our wisdom, with our understanding, our knowledge. And then, then, what are we discovering? What are we realizing? Because we live in this world, we live in this world. In the teachings, this world sometimes is characterized as the eight worldly winds. The eight worldly winds. This world of pleasure and pain, of gain and loss, of success and failure, and praise and blame. This is the world that we live in. Pleasure and pain, gain and loss, success and failure, praise and blame. This is what we're encountering day after day after day. And yet these are called the worldly winds. And if we don't have our ground, we don't know where our foundation is, our anchor is, our steadiness is, we'll be blown all around by these. Somebody praises us and we're kind of pulled, oh, isn't that wonderful? And then somebody blames us and we're knocked over, you know. Or we're in pain and we crumble and we want, we have pleasure and we get over ecstatic. It's all this, we lose something, again collapsed, or we gain something, we're overjoyed. But we're pulled around by all of that. And it's not that any of that changes. It's not that any of that goes away. We just know where our ground is. We become like those dolls, you know, those dolls with the sand and sand at the bottom. So the wind blows, but the but the doll doesn't get blown around in the wind because it's got the the sand that keeps it steady, that keeps it it grounded. And we start to feel our ballast. We feel our ballast, whether we're sitting or walking, standing or lying down. There's a a grounded, earthy ah, connection, a ballast. We know where we are. We know that the world has these winds and it blows, and sometimes it blows hard. Just like the weather, there's all these different kinds of weather. And yet, somehow, we can remain steady through that. But even when we think that we're, we've kind of mastered it, we have to be careful. There's another little story. There was a well-known scholar who practiced Buddhism and befriended a Chan master. Thinking that he had made great stride in his cultivation, he wrote a poem and asked his attendant to deliver it to the master who lived across the river. The master opened the letter and read the short poem aloud. And the poem went like this. Unmoved by the eight worldly winds, serenely I sit on the purplish gold terrace. A smile broke out on the lips of the master. Picking up an ink brush, he scribbled the word fart across the letter. 
and asked that it be delivered back to the scholar. When the scholar saw this, he was upset and went across the river right away to reprimand the master for being rude. The master laughed as he said, You said you're no longer moved by the eight worldly winds. And yet with just one fart, you ran across the the river like a rat. This testing, you know, we just get tested. And sometimes it can feel like we're being tested. You know, we feel like we're just kind of in a nice, balanced, (laughs) spacious, calm place. And something just either, you know, erupts from our own consciousness. Sometimes the dream world, you know, it's like, ah, where did that come from? Now, or it can something happens externally. We get a phone call. You know, we get the message that we were hoping we would never get. You know, something happens, and uh, where are we? How are we doing? Well, it just seems somehow that this is how it is. This testing, testing. How are you doing? How am I doing? And then we find out. And if we're honest with ourselves and uh, willing to really look deeply and be confronted by what's occurring, we can learn by this. We can grow from this. Continuing to draw on our practice. It's a simple practice. Really, this practice of recognizing and releasing, it's always the same. We've been doing this practice for many, many years right now, and it gets simpler and simpler. No, it's just breathing, (laughs) sensing and feeling and releasing and, you know, letting my muscles get softer and noticing how um, resistance is arising and rejection and the tightening and contraction and softening and just all day long, all day long. But it's happening more automatically now. It's like this, this organism just knows how to be responding to, to the, the winds, the, the worldly winds, the situation in this, in this life. We learn how to begin to touch, sort of the one way of talking about it is touching the edges of our pain, whether it's physical pain or whether it's mental pain, the tightness, the contraction, just touching the edges of this pain with this gentle awareness, this calm, still awareness, just touching very gently and then relaxing, releasing. We don't have to go in. We don't have to dive in. We don't have to dig in. We don't have to get to the bottom of it. And sometimes we may feel like that. That's too much already. It's like too much energy, too much effort. This is very soft, a gentle caress of our awareness on our experience, just as it is. Just allowing, just accepting, just trusting, touching. Ajahn Sumedho, one of our elders in this tradition, talks about equanimity like this. 
He says, the mind is like space. There is room in it for everything or nothing. We always have a perspective once we know that space of the mind, its emptiness. Armies can come into the mind and leave butterflies, rain clouds, or nothing. All things can come and go through without us being caught in reaction or resistance. All things come and go through that space of awareness without reaction, without resistance. And even if we see the reaction like I did when I was at the dentist office, even seeing that, kind of getting caught off guard like that, in that moment of seeing, touching, holding that experience without adding more resistance, without adding more reaction on top of it. This is the deepening of the equanimity. Finding more and more depth to that equanimity. And, and this is the development of, of spiritual powers. We are becoming more powerful. We're becoming empowered in ourselves, in our life. This is what happens in this practice. As these factors of awakening come more into the balance, the equanimity starts to deepen, we, be, we feel and become more powerful. And the power has this feeling of being more in control in kind of a paradoxical way because it's not the ego that's controlling in the same way. This ego that wants things out of its own demand and its own expectation and the world should be like the way I want it to be. But we might say that it's a a control that is actually more masterful. It's a control where I don't feel out of control. I don't feel controlled by this egoic, problematic Uh, conditioned part of myself. But that is now being controlled by wisdom, by compassion, by awareness, by love. It's like that that balance shifts rather than the the self, the problematic self, the ego self, being in the driver's seat. And awareness and wisdom is in the driver's seat. The equanimity, the clear seeing, and it's spacious and still and calm. And all things can go through it. And in that development of the spiritual power, the Buddha speaks of these five spiritual powers. And the first one is faith. And this faith is a, it's, a, it's this trustful confidence. It's the confidence in the Dharma in the way that things are unfolding, that this knowing, this wisdom, that all things unfold according to natural law, to a natural law. Everything is unfolding according to causes and conditions. And there's a confidence in that. And I can let go into that more and more so that the I doesn't feel so much like I have to control because everything is already in order. Everything is already in harmony. 
giving over to the Dharma, this trustful confidence. And as I do that, that starts to build energy. I start to feel more energy. That energy isn't getting uh, caught up in all these difficult patterns of mind, the, 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 the greed and the anger and the indifference. But the energy starts to get more freed up. And as the energy is freed up, that starts to drive the mindfulness. So there's more capacity to be mindful, to be present, to to have more composure in the mindfulness and attend to what's happening. This brings the fourth factor of concentration, where I'm able to be more present and one-pointed in what's happening. So with the, with the faith and the energy and the mindfulness and conf- concentration, this then gives rise to the fifth power, which is wisdom. This wisdom, this knowledge, which then allows me to navigate and function with the world, in relationship to the world, from a place of balance. So our practice is developing these faculties. We're developing these these powerful faculties that allow us to live in this challenging world, this challenging life, that then begins to bring about more ease in a very uh, paradoxical way, more ease and more sense of well-being. I'm going to end with this poem. Keep it with uh, our guru, Mary Oliver. I know many of you have heard this, The Wild Geese, but it seems to fit right here, right now. You do not have to be good. You know, just that line, you, you just like, that's the Dharma talk right there, right? You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. The soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about your despair and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clean blue air are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. Your place in the family of things. Let's sit quietly for just a minute.
So right now, just noticing what's here. Noticing if there is this ground of being. In a place where you can touch this calm, still, spacious awareness. Even a drop. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.